We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Here's your host, John Helton. Hey everybody, it's John Halpin. Welcome to the July 18th episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Draft.com. We're going to do it a little differently today. We're going to focus on two teams. Rotowire's got beat writers for every team. As you know, I think last week I did one with uh, Pete Shanky, who does the Vikings and the Colts. Um, today we are going to do the Redskins and the Lions. First up, Jerry Donabedian, who covers the Redskins. Weird though, you cover the Redskins for Rotowire, but you're a Ravens fan. How does that work? Is that annoying? I mean, it's not like the teams are rivals, but you're close by and you're probably, you know, probably don't like the Redskins much if I had to guess. Uh, so, you know what, actually, so John McKenney, um, who we happen to have two Baltimore guys um, who work for Roto-Wire. Um, so, yeah, John McKenney does the Ravens, uh, and I'm, I'm a big Ravens fan. I go to most of the home games, uh, but I actually don't, you know, there is kind of a rivalry with the Redskins, but it's more uh, maybe with, like, a generation before me. Right. Uh, you know, I was, I was born, I think, eight years after the Colts left Baltimore, so... I don't really, uh, you know, the 80s stuff doesn't really bother me. So I kind of like the Redskins, actually. Um, I mean, or at least I don't mind them. Um, and, you know, I'm a really like a general football fan, so I'd be fine with covering any of the 32 teams. Okay, so Redskins this year, biggest change 
we're going to get into specific players um, and their fantasy outlooks. But but generally, um, I mean, the biggest change has been a quarterback. Um, they've the receiving core is a little different. What what do you, generally what are you expecting from the Redskins this year? Um, you know, generally, I'm kind of expecting more of the same in terms of what we saw the last three years with um, a lot of passing yards, mediocre team. Um, I think the defense will be a little better. I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of stepped maybe toward eight or nine wins instead of I think they went seven and nine. Um, or did they squeak to eight and eight at the end of the year? But um, yeah, I think it's going to be kind of more the same, a competitive team, but probably not quite in the playoffs. Um, and I think it'll be a pretty decent team for fantasy purposes, um, you know, like it was under Cousins the past few years. Okay, um, we're going to get into the specific players in a minute, like I said. Uh, but first, check us out on Twitter. Jerry is at Rotowire NFL underscore JD. I'm at jhalpin 37 You can also tweet us at Rotowire. Get player updates at Rotowire NFL or find us on Facebook. Okay, um, let's start at quarterback. I mean, that's the biggest change here. Uh, Kirk Cousins has been a strong fantasy producer for the past few years. Uh, he's off to Minnesota. The Redskins got Alex Smith, who for most of his career lived up to the game manager uh, label that people put on him. Last year, different. He let it, he let it rip, threw downfield more, had a really good year. Uh, what are you expecting from him this season with the Redskins? I think, so I'm going to say something kind of in between what we saw from Smith last year and what we saw from him in previous years. Uh, I think it's fair looking at, you know, his time in Kansas City. I think it's fair. And at Jay Gruden's system and what Cousins did in that. I think we can expect a high completion percentage here, uh, probably somewhere in the 63 to 65% range. Um, I think Smith will be a good, at least, like, at worst, a good QB2. And I think probably I would draft him as, like, a very low-end QB1, maybe, you know, around 10th or 11th among QBs. Um, which would put him a little below where Cousins was the last few seasons, right? Cousins finished around 6th or 7th each of the last three years. No, I think last year was 4th, right? Well, Smith was 4th last year. Cousins was 6th or 7th. Okay. I think 7th last year, 6th the year before. But, yeah, Smith was 4th last year. He And he missed, um, you know, he sat out week 16. So he was actually about a point and a half, two points per game ahead of Cousins. Now, Smith did that with Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt, Albert Wilson, all having pretty healthy seasons, whereas Cousins played for a Redskins team that had Chris Thompson miss six games, Jordan Reed missed 10 games, Jamison Crowder missed one game and was nicked up in a bunch of others, um, and the offensive line was a mess. Trent Williams, left tackle, was very good. He missed six games. Brandon Scherf missed three Left guard Sean Laveau missed seven. Um, I think by Football Outsiders actually does a metric called adjusted games lost, and Redskins I think finished no higher than 29th each of the last three years. Uh, so that's kind of been the norm for Cousins to have all these injuries around him and still produce, still give us basically stats that are good enough to put him in your lineup every week and. I think Smith can match Cousins' production, but he'll need a healthy team. I don't think he can do what Cousins did uh, 
with everyone around him getting hurt and still being a solid fantasy producer. I think Smith last year kind of had everything go right around him to have that career year. Okay, so now what you're saying is where to draft him, let's say low-end QB1, 10th, 12th, somewhere around there. I'm looking at the ADPs on MFL, not the MFL 10s, but the uh, MFL ADP, and Smith's a 22nd in quarterback. I mean, he's behind Dak, Derek Carr, Mitchell Trubisky. Um, sounds like you think he's going to be a bargain getting snuck out of there, you know, round 10 or 11 as your backup quarterback. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think he'll be a bargain. Um, I, think, I mean, I think Jay Gruden's offensive system has proven to be a very good one. I think that's kind of flown under the radar because of all the injuries they've had and the fact that uh, their defense, it was actually better last year, but the previous two years wasn't very good. Uh, so, you know, when you're winning seven, eight, nine games, you're maybe not going to get credit, but... If you look at the talent that they've had and the way they've overcome injuries, I think it's a good, very good system. And, um, yeah, that's kind of – I knew Smith – I knew that I was higher on Smith than most, but I'm surprised that 22nd, like, yep. behind Derek Carr. I have no – you know, I have no interest in drafting Derek Carr. Um, maybe Trubisky's a little more interesting. I'm not sure exactly. Prescott may be a little more interesting. But, yeah, I wouldn't draft any of those guys over Alex Smith this year. Okay. Thought he would have been more in the 15 range. He's also, let's see, it's then going up. 18 is Rivers, 17 is Jameis, then Roethlisberger, Ryan, Mariota. So, um, and Jameis missing three games is up there. I know, you know, this is different. It's not a cumulative game that we play generally. But, um, all right, let's go to the backfield. So, um, last year, <laughs> at this time last year, I spent a lot of time in this podcast talking to people about Samaje P. Ryan and how awesome he was going to be. <laughs> And that didn't seem to work out. The Redskins don't think it worked out because they drafted Darius Geis. Um, do you think Darius Geis steps right in and, and becomes a, a big fantasy factor? Um, I think, you know, I'm a little, little torn on this one. I think so many times in the past as fantasy analysts, we look at it and say, oh, Darius Geis is so much better than P. Ryan and Rob Kelly. He's going to step right in and get 15 to 18 carries per game. And so many times it doesn't work out that way. Um, I think I think he's probably I wouldn't I would expect to see him start with maybe ten or twelve carries per game. I think he's too I think the talent gap is too wide for the Redskins to keep him below P Ryan and Kelly. But I think one of those two guys, probably P Ryan, will still have some kind of role. And Chris Thompson, if he's healthy, will have um, you know a big role. Um, even if he's not healthy, it's not going to be uh, Geis who's getting the passing down work. Um, but I would expect by the end of the season for Geis to be kind of in that 15 carries per game range, which behind a solid offensive line with his talent um, should make him you know, an every week starter in pretty much any league. Uh, probably looking at more of like his ceiling is probably more high-end running back two more than RB1. Uh, like I said, the pass catching work is be very surprising if he caught more than two passes per game. So I think that puts a limit on the ceiling. And again, it's a good, it should be a solid offense, but probably not one where the top running back scores 15 touchdowns. Okay, so right now, um, looking at ADPs again, Geis is going 16th at running back, and he's sne- in recent drafts he's sneaking into round three. That's so. That uh, I'm guessing you think that sounds pretty aggressive. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I've thought. I think throughout the offseason, I've thought that he's being um, a little bit overdrafted, and definitely now that he's sneaking to the third round, 
Um, it's not horribly off. I mean, the, you know, with the rookie running backs, especially one that talented, uh, you have to account for the ceiling. And I understand why people would take him that high. But for me, I think I'm thinking of him more as like a borderline top 50 guy, maybe in that 45, 50 range, which is, you know, fourth round uh, at best, maybe even fifth round. Okay. So let's say you're in a, I don't know, 14 team, or I'm just throwing that off the top of my head. I'm not doing the math much on it. Is, would you be, would you consider taking a, throwing a dart at a guy like P Ryan late? thinking, hey, maybe Geist doesn't work out? Or are you looking at this going, you know, Geist is probably going to work out and injury is the only way uh, a guy like P. Ryan gets back in the mix? Um, I, I think maybe really if I'm at the end of a four, you know, 14 teamer, it's going to be a pretty deep league. So if I'm at the end and I need a running back, maybe I throw a dart at P. Ryan, but I'm not excited about yep. it. I'm not I think even if, uh, you know, Geist gets hurt or even if he is a big disappointment, I just don't think P. Ryan has much ceiling. Uh, he's not a good pass catcher. He's not quick. He's not shifty. Um, he's pretty fast and he's very big. But those, you know, those big straight line guys, um, I think, need to be a little more explosive to have success in the NFL. Like, He's, he's not a guy who I see as necessarily having a career beyond his rookie contract. I think he's don't think he's terrible, but he's just another guy. Okay. Um, next guy I want to talk about is a guy you mentioned a minute ago, Chris Thompson. He broke his leg last year, missed the last six games. Looks like, looks like everything's fine right now. Certainly going to be the, the passing down back. But he, Chris Thompson... He's an underrated runner. I know he's not a big guy, and that pl- and they drafted. You know, what is he? He, he gets listed five eight one ninety one according to the Rotor Wire page on him. I, I know they drafted guys to to be sort of the the early down guy, but Chris Thompson being pigeonholed as just a pass catcher, I feel like is unfair to Chris Thompson. And he, do do you think he could get in the mix? A little more than people think on on the non passing downs, and I guess and and. You used to call these third down backs, but passing downs are not just third down anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, Chris, I mean, that's a good point you make about him. You know, really people only think of him first pass catching, um, but he does have a career average of 5.2 yards per carry. Um, and we saw him score. He scored five rushing touchdowns over the last two years. Um I think, you know, I think he's capable of contributing on the ground a good amount. And we kind of saw that last year that when after when Kelly wasn't working out and Pirine wasn't wor- working out, um, you know, the Redskins would keep Chris Thompson on the field for, you know, even like first downs in neutral game situations sometimes. Uh, his snap percentage in his healthy games, I think, went up above 50 percent in past years. It had been around 35, 40 percent. Um and he averaged he had 64 carries in 10 games after averaging only three or four per game in the previous two years. So we kind of saw that happen last year, where they because they were frustrated with their other backs, they played Chris Thompson more, something they'd been hesitant to do. But then we saw him break down, and it kind of, in a sense, justified what we'd seen in the previous years, yeah. where even he was effective, they didn't really put him on the field that much, um, and you know it's partially because of durability concerns. Uh, which, you know, turned out that he didn't, you know, with a bigger workload. Um, not saying that's why he got hurt. It, you know, it seemed like more of just a freak injury. 
Uh, but it was also a pretty serious injury. Uh, the broken the broken bone isn't really something too worrisome in terms of how it'll affect this year, but he suffered some ligament damage in his leg and ankle around the bro- broken bone, um, and he missed OTAs and minicamp. They expect him, like, Jay Gruden sounded pretty optimistic right? Uh, in June. Sounded like he expects Thompson to be back for training camp. Uh, but, you know, when you're talking about that kind of injury, it's going to have impacted his off-season weightlifting, um, and he hasn't been practicing. So he might be a little bit behind things, and I think that could uh, work in Geis's favor and maybe to a lesser extent in P. Ryan or Kelly's favor. Um, I think Thompson will be fine, but I wouldn't expect the workload he had last season uh, when, you know, he averaged four catches per game, six carries per game, um, maybe dropping back down to four or five carries and three catches per game. Okay. So now ADP in round 10-ish sounds like you're probably out then. Um, I mean, that's pretty, you know, it's at that point, maybe in a PPR league. But, yeah, I'm not. And last year's production, a lot of it was built on he had two or three really long receiving plays from right. like offs. Which is partly because he's a very talented player, but like he averaged 13 yards per catch, something that that's just not sustainable for running backs. Um, you know, usually when we see a guy do that, he falls back to the normal range for running back the next year, which is you know seven to nine yards per catch. Um, and if that happens, he's just not going to get the volume to be more than like a bye week fill-in. Uh, so yeah, I don't. I think tenth round is fine, but I probably won't be the one making that pick. Okay. Um, let's go to wide receiver. So we have, we're going to talk about each one of these guys. We have Jameson Crowder, who, who is probably the, the guy we can count on that we think we know what we're, we're going to get. You've got Josh Doxson, who was first year was a washout. Last year was better. Um, maybe came on a little at the end. I think we could say. And the third guy is Paul Richardson, who they got from the Seahawks and spent a pretty good amount of money on. Um, First, first of all, who's the best as, – as far as ADP goes, we will – sorry, folks. I should have had this loaded up, but now I have it loaded up. Um, oh, the website's down. Okay. Anyway, let's, let's talk about Crowder first. Okay? Crowder, ADP of 35 at wide receiver, 92 overall, which puts him in round eight or so. Um, he's been a pretty solid guy. A solid – underselling him, do you think Jameson Crowder can get better? Um, I think solid is an accurate description to this point. Uh, you're talking about a guy who's caught between 59 and 67 passes. In each of his three seasons, um, hasn't gone, hasn't reached 850 yards yet. Kind of the definition of solid um, at the position, really. But I think when we look at it, um, you know, he came into the league as a rookie fourth-round pick. He had a really good second season. Um, and then last year, he was kind of, last year was the year that was supposed to be his breakout, right? Like, if we were talking about Jameson Crowder at this point last year, um, a lot of people would have been, you know, really excited about him. So I think he's kind of, you know, he had a solid year, but uh, like I mentioned before, with the Redskins having all the injuries, he Jameson Crowder only missed one game, but he was on the injury report throughout the year. There were a couple of games where he just didn't look right. Um, and I think that had an impact on his final stat line. I think the offensive line injuries had a smaller impact. 
Um, so I think he's a guy I look at as definitely having post-hype breakout potential. Like I think last year people were kind of looking him to maybe step up to that 80 catches for a thousand yards type range, and I still think that is a definite possibility. Um, so yeah, I think at 35th receiver overall, I think that's a slight bargain. Um, you know, I think worst case scenario, you're getting a guy who is a solid wide receiver four, and I think there's upside for him to be like a wide receiver two type, like push for top 20 at the position. Okay. Um, next guy up, Josh Doxson. Uh, like I said, for year one was, was, you know, just not much happened. Um, injuries, all that. Uh, last year, uh, the line was 35 for 502 and six. Uh, he seemed, his snap percentage went up, probably, let's say middle of the season. We, I'm looking at it week seven on, he played more. Um, he, he turned, he lived up to that sort of big target uh, rep that, that he had that people thought he would, you know, play well as. Do do you think year three is going to be a big one for Josh Doxson, or do you think he might you know might turn out to be a disappointment? Um, I think he's going to turn out to be a disappointment. I mean, he you know he had some fantasy relevance late last year, uh, based on red zone work. Um, he had a couple big plays, and there was no one else healthy. He I think he saw twenty three targets over the last two weeks. Um, now he only caught six of those, which was kind of theme with him last year uh he caught 35 of 78 targets and that's from a quarterback uh Kirk Cousins who had a completion percentage well above 60 I mean if you look at the other main options in the Redskins offense no one else is you know was under 50 percent in terms of catch rate um and I think Doxon what we saw last year is kind of you know what to expect from him um He's physically very gifted. He's going to make some big plays. He's going to be a threat in the red zone, but he's just not that. Uh, not that he doesn't have that quickness in and out of his breaks to get consistently open. Um, and I don't. I wouldn't expect Alex Smith to force feed him targets. I also think the guy we're going to talk about next, Richardson, is going to get some of those deep shots that Doxon got last year. Um, so again, I, I don't expect Doxon to catch only 45% of his targets again, but I don't think he's going to get that many looks. Um, and you know, if Jordan Reed and Verbin and Davis are both healthy, they could be higher on the totem pole for the red zone. Uh, so Josh Doxon is just really not a guy I'm looking at drafting anywhere, uh, put it frankly. Okay. So, so if you're not looking at him and you think Crowder's kind of is what he is, then you've got to be higher on Richardson than most people. And Richardson's a guy who's, I mean, in 12 teamers, it's, it's like he, he's not even getting picked. I mean, he's, he's pretty low on the board. Um, but you're kind of, you must be kind of excited about him based on the way, if you think Smith's going to be pretty good or, you know, 10, 12 quarterback, you're not going to get a ton from Doxon. I know we got to talk about the tight ends. Paul Richardson would seem to be a bigger factor for you than most people seem to think. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm probably more optimistic, probably more likely to end up with Crowder. Um, I, like I said, I think he has that potential to step up from like 65 catch range to the 80-85 mm-hmm. range. Um, and I do think despite all of Alex Smith's success throwing downfield last year, I do think this is going to be a short, more of a short passing game based on Jay Gruden's history and uh, Smith's history before last season. But, yeah, I think people are kind of um, ignoring Paul Richardson. I think people he's actually being drafted 
uh, below Doxon, if I'm not wrong. Right. Um, and I think he's simply a better player. And again, he's you know he's not a guy who's going to be a high volume target, um, especially if people are healthy. Like there's really no question the Redskins want Crowder. Uh, Reed and Thompson to be like the high volume guys in their offense and on the ground guys. Uh, but I think Richardson could be like an 80, 90 target kind of guy. He's going to be getting a higher percentage of his looks downfield, whereas Crowder is going to be lots of dump offs. Um, and yeah, I think Richardson's a good player. And, you know, five years, 40 million with about half of it guaranteed isn't a huge contract for a wide receiver anymore. Right. Um, but it's a, it, it tells you something about how they view him, their expectations, that they view him as a solid to above average starter, um, even though he really only has one season of that kind of production. Honestly, I think his stat line from last year in Seattle isn't a bad, is a pretty, pretty much in line with what I expect, uh, which, you know, 700 yards and six touchdowns isn't anything to get excited about, but it does suggest that maybe people should be looking at him in the final few rounds of their drafts um, instead of just letting him go undrafted. I think there's less exciting receivers who are being picked instead of him. All right. So I'm looking at the uh, last year's stats on rotowire.com and Richardson was wide receiver 35 with that stat line. Yeah. He had 80 targets, which is in line. You said 80, 90. He went 44 for 703 and 6. So for a guy who's basically he's in 12 teamers, he's going undrafted in a lot of cases. Uh, that that sounds like someone you could throw a dart at late and and get some pretty nice production out of. Yeah, yeah, I think he's a, again enough you're looking at a 12 team league. Um, he should probably, you know, I'm not looking at him as like a top 10 round type pick. Uh, but somewhere in the final three to four rounds, like some of those receivers who get drafted are, um, you know, so in like mock drafts, they'll do it like, well, that guy doesn't really have much of a floor or a ceiling. Um, I think Richardson doesn't have a great ceiling, um, but he has some kind of ceiling because he's a deep threat. There's always, you know, a few lucky breaks in a 700 yard season for a guy like that can turn into a 900 yard season. But yeah, I mean, I expect him to basically do what he did last year. Uh, last year was a terrible season for receiver production. So if he does that, you know, what he did last year, he'll probably drop from 35th of the position to 45th. But that still makes him a guy that should be rostered. I think he's a guy who's going to end up being rostered in most leagues, regardless of whether he's drafted. I don't think he's a guy who's going to end up in many starting lineups. He's going to be that guy that you're fine with putting in on a bye week. Um, but, you know, that has that has more value than some of the people that are being drafted. Yeah. Or in a DFS lineup, in a DFS tournament lineup, because it's going to be his his hits are going to be big hits, and he's going to get his yardage and his points in chunks. Yeah, so. yeah, especially on a um, especially if you're on only half PPR and non PPR site, uh, you might look at stacking him with Alex Smith over Doc over uh, Crowder, especially because. Crowder's more of the possession guy. He's probably not going to score. He's probably going to be your most reliable guy there, but he's probably not going to score a ton of touchdowns. Um, probably not going to have a ton of games with over 100 yards. So, yeah, Richardson might make for if you're doing a Redskins game stack or just a Smith receiver stack. Um, Richardson might be a guy you're going to look at a few times this year. All right, let's go to the tight ends. So, Jordan Reed, this is the year where 
Jordan Reed's injury history is being priced into his draft status. That he's going as tight end 13. Um, I see the overall ADP is 119, so that's, you know, end of the 10th in a 12-teamer. Uh, what do we do with this guy? Is he, is he ever – I mean, you don't know. I can't, I mean, I'm going to ask you if he's ever going to be healthy, and you can't give me a yes or a no, but he's a, he's a bad bet. But do you still want to take the shot at him thinking that if it works – I mean, you'd have, to, you'd have to draft him as a second tight end, and there's not a ton of formats where you really want to draft a second tight end, right? Um, so, I mean, I think he's fallen to the point where his, you know, his injury, the fact that he's hurt all the time has been fully baked into his price and then some, um, I'm not, you know, there's not a ton of tight ends I'm excited to draft this year. Generally, I'm trying to, my strategy is to usually try to grab Kelsey or Gronk early. And then if I don't, I'm usually waiting until way later and grabbing two guys. So Reed is kind of perfect for that strategy. Um, cause you know, if you're going to need to, he's got obviously a higher ceiling than most guys are going to be drafting at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's true. Like, right. Most people generally don't, you're not going to be thrilled with carrying two tight ends, especially if, if you're in a league with four or five bench spots. Um, you know, you might say you might pass on Reed, even if you're looking at him and saying, wow, Jordan Reed is still available this late. Uh, if you're in a league with six or seven bench spots, though, I think it's very viable to carry two tight ends, especially if you don't draft one within the first hundred picks. Um, you know, if you're looking at kind of these guys like George Kittle, who I love this year, Vance McDonald, you might want a second tight end. Uh, and that's why I look at saying, like, look, I know Jordan Reed's probably not going to be healthy, um, but even if he only plays six games again, like, he's a guy you can pretty much, if he's active, you're probably going to want him in your lineup, especially in a PPR league. Um, so even if you're only getting half a season out of him or less, he can pay off that draft price. Got it. You just you need to be savvy with when you're putting him in your lineup and take him out, and you need to not completely whiff on that second tight end. <laughs> right. So that's which is a risky proposition when you're talking about tight ends that we're drafting in the twelfth round. Okay. So the last guy I want to ask you, Vernon Davis. Obviously, you're not going to – I mean, you're not drafting tight end handcuffs. Um, are you – do you buy into the report? Like, let's say Jordan Reed gets hurt, which seems to be a likely scenario at some point. Do you buy into the, the fact that – let me back up a little bit. Last year, the year before, I think it was year four, when, when Jordan Reed got hurt, people were excited to pick up Vernon Davis. This year, in the almost inevitable case that Jordan Reed gets hurt, are you more excited to pick up Vernon Davis than you were before because of his past history with Alex Smith? I, yeah, no. I mean, maybe very slightly, but it was a long, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I think we, last year, you know, we were all excited about Vernon Davis. And he did after when Reed was hurt his first few games without him. Uh, he did well. But he never, he didn't really sustain it. And his, you know, his target total didn't end up being that much, or his product, and his production didn't end up being that much better um, with Reed out of the lineup. You know, he did get a little bit more volume, but he was actually pretty decent even when, in the games Reed played. And that dates back to the year before. Um, I think he's almost more comfortable in that second tight end role, which is a big role in the Redskins offense. Uh, where he's going to be more of the inline guy, and then he's able to kind of sneak out 
um, on passing plays and get those regular matchups with linebackers. Uh, whereas when he's also filling Jordan Reed's role as the passing down tight end who's going to be out in the slot or even split out, he's looking at more matchups with defensive backs. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have Reed. He's, you know, better, maybe a better athlete than Reed in terms of size, terms of size and strength. But he doesn't have his quickness, his agility to get open. So he kind of struggles with those matchups. Um, and for that reason, I mean, Davis is he's not someone I'd consider drafting. Um, even if Jordan Reed, even if we're kind of Jordan Reed uh, doesn't really gain any traction with his recovery from the toe injury and it go, we're going into week one and it looks like Davis is going to start. I just think there are other guys I would look to as my late round tight ends with more upside. Um and I, yeah, I'm not. I don't. I don't really care that Smith threw to him, however, <laughs> eight years ago. Um, I'm sure. That I think they're friends. I think Smith said that, but it doesn't. Again, it doesn't really matter if Jameson Crowder is the guy who's open. That's who Alex Smith's going to throw to. Got it. All right, Jerry. You've got uh, training camps coming up uh, pretty soon. What are you going to be working on? Uh, so I'll be writing once training camp starts. I'll be writing a lot of notes for the Roto Wire website. A lot of those player notes. Um, then I'll probably post a couple articles on the site. Um, kind of been haven't haven't quite started on the writing, but been kind of thinking about like you know the pre the preseason like the vast majority. Basically, my premise: the vast majority of what we see is pretty meaningless, right? Like you don't. There's not going to be much advantage gained to tuning in and watching all these preseason games. Uh, but there are a few things I picked up on last preseason. That helped me uh, more so in DFS in terms of like weeks one through three, mm-hmm. more so than in my season long leagues. But a few things I picked up on that I never would have picked up on if I hadn't been watching those preseason games. Now, granted, I was watching them for work purposes, not fun. Um, as much as I love football, I, you know, I think if I didn't write for Rotowire, I probably wouldn't watch any preseason besides the Ravens. Uh, but like one thing I noticed was last year was that Todd Gurley wasn't coming off the field for the Rams when their first team offense was on. Right. Um, and if you just look at the box score for a preseason game, you're never going to notice that. But I noticed that like on third and 18, they still had him on the field, third and nine, whatever. Um, and that was something that now it sounds like, duh, of course. But if you look at going into last year, Gurley hadn't really shown anything as a pass catcher. And people, we thought of him as more of like a early down 230 pound, like bruising guy. Um, and I noticed that, and I put realized, like, oh, he's probably going to have a three-down role, it looks like. Like, they aren't even giving anyone else a shot with the first-team offense. Right. Um, and that, to me, pushed his value up maybe five spots in, um, you know, in regular leagues. And then, and I still didn't end up drafting him anywhere, but I ended up riding him pretty hard in DFS early in the year. Yep. Uh, obviously, that made a huge difference, because early in the year, he's, you know, his price hadn't caught up to his production. Um, I kind of, you know, veered away from him later in the season when he was the most expensive player. Uh, but getting him early in the year when he was, you know, the eighth or tenth most expensive running back was a huge boon to my lineup. So I'm going to kind of look at some things like that, some stuff that, you know, not the obvious job battles, but stuff like whether a starting running back is staying in the game on third and long, third and medium. Um, maybe some backup running back battles or like, whether, you know, a team is using, like, whether the one thing I'm interested to see is how the Bears use Trey Burton. Right. Like, will they have him on the field on first and 10, knowing that he's an undersized guy? 
or is he just going to be coming in on those second and longs and those third downs? Um, because, you know, I've heard people talking kind of, you know, the Travis Kelsey comparison because of Matt Nagy coming from Kansas City. Yep. Uh, but I've been, you know, part of what makes Travis Kelsey Travis Kelsey is that he's a good blocker and he stays on the field for every single play. Um, and some of those, you know, first and tens that we expect to be runs end up being a play action pass to Kelsey. So if your tight end is missing out on that and he doesn't have Kelsey's talent in the first place, um, it's hard to it's hard to get to, you know, beyond 60 catches or so if you're kind of uh, playing about half the snaps. So stuff like that. Maybe got a little getting a little rambling on now, but uh, I think you get the idea. I do. All right. Hey, man, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Um, everybody, that's Jerry Donbeating who covers the Redskins for Rotowire. Um, fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to be playing best ball in my favorite new app, Draft. Well, it's not new. It's new for me. Here's how it works. It's season long, but no management. You just draft. You set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. You don't even have to set your lineup. Your best players get automatically selected, and you'll get the best score every week guaranteed. You never worry about injuries or last-minute benchings ever again. You don't have to be that guy who leaves a dead spot in his lineup or anything like that. You can draft a team anytime you want. Leagues start every couple of minutes, so you can join one right now. And the best part? You play for cold, hard cash. Leagues start from just $3, so there's a league for everyone. And this year, they're running a $1 million best ball tournament. Just enter the best ball championship, draft the best team, and you could win a piece of a million dollars in prizes. There's no salary caps. It's a real-life snake draft, just like to play with your friends in a season-long league. Come and join me on Draft today. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes. Or play right from your computer on Draft.com, whatever you want. For limited time, all new players get free entry into a best ball draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use my promo code WIRE. That's right. Play a real money game for free just for using my promo code WIRE on your first deposit on Draft. Just search, dra- search sorry, Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and come play for free with promo code WIRE. Thanks a lot, Draft, for sponsoring this podcast. All right, next up, Logan Larson, who covers the Lions for Roto-Wire. Logan, thanks a lot. Are you a, uh, are you a Lions fan or just a beat writer and observer? Nothing, there's anything wrong with that. Uh, just a beat writer. Actually, a Packer fan. Packer but, uh, fan. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. One of the Rotowire army that's a Packer fan, another one. <laughs> yeah, one of many, yeah. All right, um, so for the Lions, the, the fantasy prospects for the Lions. So they've changed, they did an unusual thing. They changed head coaches, but they kept the offensive coordinator. Do you see any changes coming in the Lions' offensive approach with Matt Patricia there? Yeah, so... Jim Bob Cooter, the OC, will be calling the plays. Um, and I think they retained him uh, while signing a new head coach to keep that con- continuity in their offense. Um, Cooter has, a lot of, has had a lot of success in Detroit. I think the main priority for Patricia is not to rock the boat, so to speak. Uh, I mean, Cooter's achievements have been impressive, uh, which has showed in the kinds of numbers Stafford has put up um, compared to his stats from the pre-Cooter era, uh, particularly in terms of TD to interception ratios, uh, completion percentage. Uh, last year, Stafford posted a career high 7.9 yards per attempt, uh, which was uh, sixth in the league, right behind Brady. Um, but at the same time, I think it's obvious to everyone that the run game needs to improve. Uh, Cooter knows that. Patricia knows that. GM Bob Quinn obviously knows that, um, given the offseason moves Detroit has made in recent years. Um, I mean, the Lions were dead last in the league last year in total rushing. Also, yards per carry. If I had to predict a change that Patricia himself might have the most influence on, 
Uh, it's going to be making a greater priority to get that run game going earlier. Uh, the Lions actually ranked dead last in rushing attempts on first down last year. Um, yeah, I mentioned that Quinn has made some moves and uh, on the offensive line, drafted Frank Regnow in the first round this year. Uh, Detroit all of a sudden has one of the best offensive lines in the league, so Patricia has that to work with. Um, so a slightly more balanced offense is what we can expect uh, reasonably from Patricia, I think. Um, even though regardless, at the end of the day, this offense will live and die by Stafford's arm, uh, plain and simple. All right, so looking at the, the last few years of Stafford's stats, I mean, a lot of people like to – I mean, I still think the guy gets underrated fantasy, for fantasy purposes, right? Because the numbers aren't spe- agree, yeah. spectacular – but they're very consistent. I mean, you look at the last four years since they, I mean, I don't know exactly when, uh, I guess, Scott Linehan left, but, um, you know, last four years, 42-57, 42-62, 43-27, 44-46, really strong passing yards numbers. Over that time, he has averaged, let's see, 54-78, uh, so 27 touchdowns a year. Um, do you think that, looking at the last Again, last three years, the passing attempts were somewhere 592, 594, 565 last year. Do you think those numbers are going to drop with more of a commitment to the run, or does 560, 575, 80 sound about right? It sounds about right to me. Um, Cooter, when he came in here, he's done a great job of limiting uh, the chances Stafford could have to make mistakes. Um, Particularly, I mean, actually, and the. They haven't had a run game, obviously, in years. And part of that has been, I think, like a more I guess, heightened commitment to the short area passing game, which has had a um, great impact on Stafford's completion percentage, as you can see the past couple, couple of years. As far as passing attempts, um, yeah, that sounds about right to me. Probably more last year's 565 than the previous two years, 590. But yeah, 560 is probably right in that area. Okay, so last year, I'm looking at the stats on rotowire.com. Stafford finished the year as QB5 in fantasy. Right now, he is going off the board, as I mentioned earlier, I'm using the MFL ADPs. He's going off the board as quarterback 13. Do you think that is a, it's about right, or is it a good value for Stafford? It's a great value for Stafford. Um, I mean, I think he's a legitimate MVP candidate in real life. Um, yeah, set a franchise record with 99.3 uh, passer rating last year. Um, and yeah, he's finished as a top 10 option beyond last year, uh, each of the past three years, actually, under Cooter. Um, and going forward, I think, I'd like to think a more formidable run game could even uh, help Stafford become more efficient. Um, last year's QB5 finish might be too much to expect for him, but I think... At QB 13, yeah, that's definitely a value. He's, he should be a top nine quarterback, I think, off the board. Okay. He's actually going after 10 through 12 are Breeze, Luck, and Mahomes. Breeze is adjusting to his new life of not throwing as much as he used to. He only threw 536 times last year. Luck, who the heck knows what's going to happen there. And number 12 is right. everybody's favorite um, new guy, Patrick Mahomes, who, who as I talked about with a couple of people, is in a – it has a lot of weapons and is in a situation where he's going to have a bad defense. <laughs> so he's going to have to win some shootouts, but um, yeah, I think I'd be happy to take Stafford among those guys. All right. You talked about the renewed commitment to the run game in Detroit, and uh, I have no doubt that you are on the right track there. However, 
Who's it going to be? We've got a lot of candidates here. You've got LeGarrette Blunt in town. You've got Kerryon Johnson who got drafted in the third round, I think. You've still got Amir Abdullah, but we, the rumor is – sounds like people think he's not going to be there when the season starts. And you've also got Theo Riddick to muck things up on passing downs. How do you think the Lions backfield is going to shake out? Yeah, I have a lot to say here. <laughs> I mean, earlier this season, uh, Bob Quinn uh, said he expects to keep four or five backs on a 53-man roster. Um, so I think Abdullah actually will stick around, but as that number four area. But yeah, this is a crowded backfield for sure. It's going to be a headache for fantasy purposes. Um, I mean, this is a team that hasn't had a 100-yard single-game rusher since Reggie Bush did it back in 2013 on Thanksgiving Day, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, as far, I don't see any of these guys at top 25 or top 30 running backs as far as uh, preseason rankings go. Right. But, uh, I mean, the guy I'm most excited about is obviously the rookie, Kerryon Johnson. Uh, led the SEC in rushing at Auburn last year, was that conference's offensive MVP. Lions wow. traded up to get him in the second round while Darius Geis was still on the board, I'm pretty sure. But uh, this is a committee approach. Uh, the Patriots have, or not the Patriots, Lions have indicated that um, a whole offseason pretty much by the OTAs and if minicamp was any indication. Um, but at the same time, if Blunt or Carrion Johnson were to get hurt, I think the other could actually be a top 15 option in, uh, in fantasy. So there is some upside here. Right. But unless that happens, it's going to be a headache. Okay. So right now, ADP-wise, Kerry Johnson's going as the 26th running back off the board, while Blunt is 61st. So, I mean, basically people, early drafters kind of feel the way you do, that Johnson's the guy they're excited about. But you think if they're both there, then it's going to be some sort of, you know, timeshare. Basically, early down timeshare is what we're looking at, right? Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, GM Bob Quinn, Patricia, obviously both have ties to the Patriots, uh, who Blunt played for a couple of years ago. So they know what they're getting with Blunt, and they didn't sign him for no reason. He'll have he'll have a role. Um, I mean, he gives them the bulldozer they haven't had in years, the short yardage back they haven't had in years. Um, he'll be used. He won't be not involved. And that will come at Johnson's expense, presumably. Okay. And Blunt last year... In case anyone forgot, you know, there was a crowded backfield in Philly as well. Blunt averaged 4.4 carry last year. Um, so yeah. still something left in the tank, uh, I guess, Definitely. there for Blunt. All right. Um, sorry, Kerry. Sorry to be wet blanket on that, Kerry and Johnson owners, but um, that sounds like what we're looking at. Okay. So let's go to Theo Riddick. Um, he is the passing down back. He's not. Right. He's never. He's not explosive. He's more reliable than explosive. But he's the last three years. He caught eighty passes in twenty fifteen. Then fifty three each of the last two years. Um, you know, in in twenty sixteen, he missed a bunch of games and that could have contributed because you know on a per game basis he was fine. Do you think he bounces back to that level? Um, basically, the five catches a game that he had in twenty fifteen sixteen, or it's more like last year with somewhere in the fifty sixty range. I think it's possible he bounces back, but I wouldn't expect it. Um, I'd probably more expect, I mean, it's easy to paint a pigeonhole him to like a James White kind of role, but I think that's truly what we're looking at. 
Um, I don't think I don't see his role changing a whole ton, a whole lot from last year. But there's not much you can count on here. Uh, maybe I mean he scored a, a three touchdowns or five touchdowns last year. Um, but yeah, his his role isn't changing much. He's not outside of PPR leagues. He's really not someone to even consider. Uh, I got you. I mean, and he's going to have to catch seventy or eighty to be really valuable. A guy a running back that catches fifty right, fifty yeah. some passes is not even going to help you much in PPR. So right, yeah, he's more of a real life asset, I think, at this point. Okay, well, let's go to the uh, the receivers. Right. I saw some stats last week. I, you know, I wish I had the probably a tweet, which is where I see everything about the Marvin, basically Marvin Jones's stats taking a nosedive when Kenny Galladay was in the mix when he was active. Um, Kenny Galladay is getting a lot. People are saying many nice things about Kenny Galladay based on OTAs and things like that, that, that he seems like a popular candidate to uh, take a step forward this year. Do you think Kenny Galladay is going to be squarely in the mix for a decent number of targets for the Lions? We can talk about in detail what that means in a minute. Uh, yeah, I mean, Galladay is a physical specimen. 6'4", runs like a four five forty. I'm pretty sure, maybe even faster. Um, and... I mean, he's had uh, his first full NFL offseason train, um, a year under his belt in Cooter's system. I definitely think Gallaty takes on a bigger role this, uh, this season, and something's got to give, and I think that will be seen in Jones' numbers. Um, despite Jones even getting better and better, improving himself, it's one of the best deep threats, I think, uh, league-wide. Um, yeah. All right. So, so Gallaty, when he played last year, he missed a handful of games in the middle of the season. Um, yeah. wasn't getting a huge target share, right? But oh, no. now Marvin here, going to switch over to him real quick. Um, in the games where Galladay was out, his target share went way up. I mean, in the weeks Galladay's, it was 5, 8, 14, 11, 11. And the rest of the year, he was always single digits. And some, you know, the last... Four games, he was five or less on targets. Um, so if Galladay's there and Jones, Jones' stats had to give, well, last year, Marvin Jones was overall in the top, is he top 20 here somewhere? Hang on one second. Actually, he was, sorry, he was wide receiver five that I'm looking at in real words. That's 61 for 11.01 and nine touchdowns. Um, as far as ADP goes, he's not that popular because I think people are kind of looking at the Kenny Galladay effect. Um, but Marvin Jones is wide receiver 27 off the board right now per ADP. How do you feel about where he's being drafted? I mean, we don't think he's going to be a top 10 guy again, but our wide receiver 27 makes him a flex guy or a wide receiver three. That sounds like a pretty decent value to me, even if Galladay does play a lot. I completely agree. Um, yeah, wide out 27 is definitely – value for Jones. I mean, even if he does see decreased targets, uh, he was one of the most efficient receivers in the entire league. Uh, led the league in yards per catch, second in yards per target. Um, yeah, even if he does see the less looks, he's going to do something with them. And uh, with Galladay being around, 
it's not like Jones is going to see what five or six targets get. He's going to see uh, high single digits, which will translate or should translate given his past efficiency into better than wide receiver 27 numbers. Um, so, yeah, it's obviously not a great bet to think of him as a top five wideout fantasy-wise or top 10, uh, even top 15 maybe. But at least a low-end uh, wide receiver two is – you're sitting pretty in, in your, with your roster if you have uh, – if you got Jones as wide receiver, 27. He's only your second wide out. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to Golden Tate. Uh, actually, back to right. Galladay for a minute. Right. Are, are you, is he the kind of guy you're going to roster a lot? If in deeper leagues, yes. Because um, if Galladay were to get hurt, uh, Gall- or if Marvin Jones were to get hurt, Galladay would be uh, quite the fantasy asset, to say the least. Yep. Um, in regular leagues with shallower benches, um, especially in non uh, PPR or in PPR scenarios, I, I don't. I think he's more waiver wire fodder at that point. But uh, in deeper leagues, yeah, I'm rostering him. Okay. Um, let's go to Golden Tate. He finished last yeah. year. Um, I've got him at wide receiver 19. Caught 92 passes for 1,003 and five. Um, he's caught in the last. Four years in Detroit, receptions, 99-90, So we sort of we know what we're getting there with Golden Tate. We're not getting a lot of touchdowns, most likely. We're getting a lot of catches. He is one of those high-floor PPR wide receivers. Is this, with, with the changes, probably tweaks, because it's not wholesale changes with the Lions. Even if they run more, Stafford throws a similar amount, like you said, um, do do we see more of the same coming from Golden Tate? <laughs> yeah, Steph taxes and Tate getting ninety balls. I mean, every <laughs> season he's been to Detroit, he's had ninety catches. Uh, three of those four seasons, he's crossed the century mark and receiving. Uh, Stafford clearly loves him, um, and he has that safety that you want, or the high floor as you talked about. Um, about two thirds of the thousand yards Tate had last season came after the catch. Yeah, he had like six hundred yards after the catch. Led the league in that category. I'm pretty sure. So even if he gets low-quality targets, Tate has shown that he can create on his own, which only adds to his weekly floor. Um, at the same time, yeah, his ceiling isn't as high probably as Marvin Jones. But again, Tate has one of the highest floors. What we've seen is probably what we're going to continue to get. And yeah, I guess another 90 catches, 1,000 yards, and five or so touchdowns is more than reasonable to get from him. Okay. Um Last item on the lines. What what the heck am I doing at tight end? My draft. Am I even the least bit interested in anybody? I mean, am, do I look at Luke Wilson and say, "Hey, yeah, maybe because Eric Ebron had some productive years there." Uh, no, I'm I'm not excited about anyone here from a fantasy fantasy perspective, like at all, really. Uh, Toilolo is a big dude who was signed to block. Yeah, Wilson is the more athletic of the two. Um, had a significantly higher like vertical and 40-yard dash than Toilolo. Um, but still, I think both of these guys could be a factor in the red zone. And it's going to be a, like, the, like the running game. It's going to be a headache to try and sort these out on a weekly basis. Um, in OTAs and minicamp, we saw Lions use more 13 personnel than uh, Lions beat writers have seen in practices in years uh, where they got one tailback and three tight ends in the field. So we're definitely seeing both of these guys getting playing time. Um, and adding to that mix, the guy who uh, would be that third tight end on the field, should they actually use uh, more 13 personnel, 
is actually the sleeper I picked for the Rotowire Fantasy Mag, uh, which is Michael Roberts, um, who the Lions took in the fourth round last year. He is, he's a beast. Um, he caught 16 touchdowns in his final year at Toledo. His highlight video from that year is pretty fun to watch. But, yeah, again, this is a committee approach, per se, at uh, tight end, and I'm not going anywhere near here fantasy-wise, unless, unless someone clearly emerges from the pack in preseason or early on in the campaign, I guess. All right, but if so, if they're running that kind of offense, and and if you see in the preseason that that they're going to have three tight ends on the field sometimes, then you start the season, and you know we go to week one. I don't know who they're playing week one off the top. I don't have them right in front of me. And you see Michael Roberts, let's say on DraftKings for twenty five hundred. That that's the type of guy that you could stick in the back of your mind and look if you're going for a budget tight end. Do you think he might be on the field enough to get, do some a little bit of damage in the red zone? I mean, a little bit of a long shot, but maybe maybe based on what you're saying, less of a long shot than other guys at that price. Yeah, yeah, particularly in tournament settings. I don't think I'd touch any of these guys in cash games. <laughs> right. But yeah, Roberts could be a great guy, especially if you want to go higher priced on wideouts or running backs. Um, I mean, it's not impossible for him to catch to say maybe one week he gets two touchdowns, but predicting these guys on a week to week basis is going to be not fun. Fair enough. Um, yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good, but that's, that's, that's my favorite nugget of what we talked about, by the way. I know it, I know it's a, one of three tight ends on a team that doesn't overload its tight ends with targets, but that's my favorite little nugget that you just gave me. I'm, uh, that's, a, that's a good one, uh, Michael Roberts. All right, <laughs> folks, here. listeners to our podcast and get a free 10-day Rotowire trial at rotowire.com slash pod. No credit card needed. That lets you check out nearly all the features on the site. Check it out now, rotowire.com slash pod. Um, Logan's at Alex Larson on Twitter. What, hey, man, what are you, you going to be working on as training camp uh, gets closer and starts? Uh, nothing crazy. Uh, just graduated college, and I'm still planning my – career moves and whatnot um i'm actually though i have in mind uh i'm terrible on social media not active at all on any site really um but i like twitter i'm definitely trying to get more active on there in the near future i'm weird i actually like to watch preseason football there you go uh, so i got a good time to start yeah yeah um jerry donabedian mentioned earlier in the show he, he he is going to watch preseason football and he said if it wasn't for work he probably wouldn't but you're saying you like it, so that's good. I mean, you can learn some things, right? You don't learn a ton, but playing time-wise and, and like you said, personnel pa- packages, things like that, you actually can pick up on some things. Definitely, especially in week three of the preseason with most people term as that uh, dress rehearsal for the regular season. And, I mean, particularly they'll be paying attention during the first half of those games because I think that great gives a good insight into what you could expect for week one and stuff you could actionably use in DFS. So, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, I'd watch it, even if I didn't work here, but it's good, especially to watch if you're a betting man in the NFL world, I guess. All right. Logan, thanks a lot for doing this. Um, have yeah, fun no watching the preseason again. Get Logan busy on Twitter. He said he wants to start using Twitter more, so he's at Alex Larson on Twitter. Go ask him some questions about the lines or anything else, um, and, and we'll get him more active on there because that's what he wants to do. Listeners, if you like the podcast, please leave us a review and a rating wherever you're listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Road Wire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Draft.com. Our next show is going to be on Thursday, July 19th, so check back then. For Jerry Donbeady and Logan Larson, I'm John Halpin. See you next time. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.